We are in Psalm 42 for our Bible study this morning. If you have your Bible, you can open to Psalm 42. If you need a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisles right now with Bibles, and they want to drop one off in your hand. And um, <clears throat> after I shared last week, uh, there was so much that I crammed into the, the, the sermon um, because, you know, you get one shot, you know, so I thought, you know, I'd love to get all this in there. And then as soon as I was finished, I thought, man, I wish I said this. I wish I could have brought this out. I wish, uh, you know, there's so many dimensions to it. And, um, and so I thought to myself, I thought if I ever had, like, more time to do this same subject, I would give more to it. And then Bobby said, would you teach again this Sunday? It didn't take me very long to know what I was teaching on. So uh, this morning's message is kind of a continuation or a part two of uh, what we began last week, this message on the soul. And so uh, our text will be Psalm chapter 42. And let's again just go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our study. And so, Father, we just uh, want to thank you this morning for... Um, just your, your tender care for us. We thank you that you're so alive, that you're living and powerful. We thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your promise in our lives, Lord, and we thank you for who you are. And as we're here, Lord, we're gathered in your name. We ask that you would bless this time, that you would give us uh, an understanding. We ask that you would uh, help us to um, look into the mirror of your word and, and see back Lord, um, so much. Help us to see what's in us. Help us to see what you're doing in us. Help us to make sense of uh, our lives, past, present, and future. And, and, um, and Lord, we just pray that your love would be here. And so, Father, please bless this time. I ask that you would anoint the word and our hearts and that you would heal, that you would save, that you would do your will today in having each one of us here. We believe you, we trust you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to talk to you this morning again about the soul, this part of our uh, being that was created by God. I'll, by way of um, recap, not to belabor what's already been shared, but just to bring up to speed, uh, I shared with you last week, I gave the definition of the soul, a quote from Dallas Willard, as the aspect of our whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. And then, again, I shared with you that Strong's concordance definition of the word soul in the Hebrew language. It is the active integration of the mind, the will, the character, and the body. And so uh, the soul being the mind, which is the center of our decision-making, in integration with our will, which is the center of our desires and the things that we want, also in alignment with our personality, that is the uniqueness of who God made us as individuals when he knit us together in the womb, and then all of that together wrapped into the physical medium or expression of our body, and that is the tangible part of us where all of that is then expressed. And if you take all of that, and probably so much more than what we can define uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in our finite understanding, that is what the Bible is talking about, um, what we're talking about when we're talking about our soul. It is the whole and complete you. And the premise of all of this is that if the soul is healthy, that is that there's an integration between our decisions and our mind and our desires and our will and our character and our personality, 
if, and then how it's communicated through our, our presence, if all of that is integrated the way it's supposed to be, then every part of our life is going to be healthy. It's going to play out in every part of who we are, our decisions, our, uh, our, our demeanor, our attitude, our finances, our sexuality, our uh, all of it, everything that we are, even our produce, what we do with our time and what comes out of our life, all of that is going to be healthy if our soul is healthy. But if our soul is unhealthy, that is that there's a misalignment or a disintegration between the various parts of me, then that also is going to reflect in the various parts of my life and all of those things are also going to be out of order. And so we talked last week about the needs that every soul universally has. We all have a need for identity. We need to know who we are. We, it's in us to search that out and to find it. And there's a restlessness until we really know who God made us to be and what, what we are. What is a Nick? What is a Chris? You know, what are we? You know, and, and so the, uh, the need for identity. There's also a need for acceptance, and we get that from God as he forgives our sins in the person of his son, Jesus. He frees us from the guilt of our past. He shows us that he meets us where we are and that he's not conditional in his love towards us, waiting for us to become something that we are not yet. But he accepts us right where we are and the soul needs that acceptance. The soul also longs for and needs freedom in so many different ways. The freedom of boundaries. We need to know what the limits are. And what happens if we step and start living outside of what we were made to live for and made to do and be? What happens to us? And so we need the the freedom to live the life that we were designed to live by living within the boundaries that God gave. We also need freedom of soul debt. I'm not going to get into that now, but you can pick up last week's study. In fact, if you weren't here, I'd I'd highly encourage that you grab that in addition to this uh, to understand the, the entirety of it. And the soul needs satisfaction. And that is that something that is our soul that has an infinite capacity to experience, to receive, and to live needs an infinite source. And our soul's infinite need is a reflection of God's infinite capacity to give. And thus, for the soul to be made whole, for the soul to be healed, for it to be made right in the middle of a world where we're born into this world broken, and then the pressures of this life are damaging us on every side as we go through it, the solution begins when our soul, as it were a tree, is uprooted from whatever it was rooted in for satisfaction and identity and acceptance and freedom and all that. It's taken out of that and then it is rooted exclusively and deeply in the one source for which the soul was made and that is God himself. And that's kind of where we left off last week is the great need of humanity to find its soul or the health of its soul by being rooted in God alone. And I talked to many this week, uh, emails that came in and conversations that were had and encouraging uh, feedback that came from you guys uh, of how much it was helpful, you know, f- to, to just hear those things and to get the perspective. And, and I saw a lot of teary eyes, you know, a lot of people that just felt as though, you know, they heard truth and there was something that resonated and does resonate because it's truth, you know, in us as we hear these things. But then what happens 
And what happened to me, to you, is that we, you know, we kind of feel encouraged. We feel hope. There's definitely faith. We believe. We know. We even make the decision in our mind. We say, yeah, I need God and I want God. That's where I'm supposed to be. And, and, and then what happens is we go home and all of a sudden, this other part of us, this other thing called our will, it's part of our soul. Remember the seed of our desires and our wants? Our will, which for the most part is willing to go along with the mind when it makes its decision, the will chimes in and the will has this other issue that's going on. And the issue that the will has is that it's enslaved by this little thing that sometimes we like to call habits. And what a habit is, and I'm going to give a very broad definition of this, and I'll explain what and why in a second, but a habit essentially is a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. And when I talk about a habit this morning, I'm not just talking about something like cigarette smoking or, you know, a tendency for us to indulge in something that we have a hard time. Sep- I- I'm-, I'm talking about something much bigger. And what I mean by habits in this context is really the status quo of the soul. In other words, this is what I am. This is the way that I've lived. These are the things that I've done my whole life, the way that I've coped and the way that I think. And all of those things are patterns that go way deeper than me simply making a decision that I'm just going to stop and change directions. It would almost be like taking a shoehorn and putting it in the Hudson River and seeking to divert it down a different channel, in a sense. See, the mind says, yes, this river is going totally the wrong direction. And the will is even there to say, I'd like to change this. But there are things in our lives that are more powerful than those those parts of us that keep things going in the same direction they were, and we find that there's a little bit of a challenge. Illustration. There was a person in the church, this is a number of years ago, that had gone for their uh, yearly physical. And as they were there in the uh, physician's office, they were being pre-screened by the practitioner, and they go through the thing, they take your height, they take your weight, they ask you a bunch of simple questions. And as she watched over the practitioner's shoulder, she watched in the weight category where she checked off the little thing that said obese. Now, this person was by no stretch what you and I would label or consider to be obese. This person knew they could stand to lose a few, as most of us know when that comes around, you know, and that whole thing is there. But there just wasn't a motivation, there wasn't a willingness. But when this person saw the nurse practitioner check that off, she stopped her and said, wait, why did you... And she said, oh, it's nothing. You know, it's just, these are stats. That's just, I mean, for your height and, you know, place where you are, that's just what it is. Now, her mind was already kind of convinced. The mirror, the scale, okay, the knowing, we know, right? But then when she saw the stats and the word and the check mark, all of a sudden the will jumped on board with the mind, the will was convinced. Now I, I want to do something about this. And there was a strong surge to insert the shoehorn in the river. You know, something's got to be done about this. And so this person left that office motivated. This person left that office ready to make a change. Something's going to change in my life now because of this. And that resolve was powerful. 
for about six hours. And then after about six hours, habits came home. And habits said, whoa, 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 whoa. Why is the furniture different? You guys, you men, does that happen to you? You come home sometimes and you look at your, you, what, wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is my house. Why is the cow, no, 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 no. What, those are grocery bags. Why are there vegetables? I want moose, chunk, chocolate, double fudge. What, what are we doing here? What is this? And all of a sudden, the habits begin to pull on the will and a battle begins to ensue. And so also for us, we recognize Sometimes we see the soul sickness that's in us. We understand that there are issues that are in our lives that are a byproduct of the fallen world and the pressures of life, the disintegration of what we are, the inconsistency and the disconnect. And we see it. We recognize it. The symptoms are there. Yes, I struggle with depression. I struggle with anxiety, sometimes severe. I struggle with compulsiveness and compulsive disorders. I have identity issues. Yes, there are sexuality issues in my life. There are things that are going on that are the byproduct of the way that I've done. And just because I came to a study or read a book or raised my hand or came forward, I'm finding that now, yes, my roots have been lifted out and placed in in where they're supposed to be, but the issues aren't just going away. I'm not just healed because I said so. The issues aren't just gone because I made a decision. And what gives with that and how do we deal with it when we're saved and yet we struggle because we still have soul issues? What I want you to know this morning is that that is not uncommon. In fact, it is quite normal because it doesn't happen overnight. And so for our text this morning in our study, we're in Psalm chapter 42, And I'd like to read it to you and then talk about it because what we find is someone in the same exact position that we find ourselves in as we struggle in this life. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, As the deer pants after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night. While they, the the tears, continually say unto me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I would have gone with the multitude. In the past, I went with them to the house of God. With the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. But why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted or upset? In me, hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance, his presence, his face. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember you from the land of Jordan and from the Hermonites and from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? 
Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. We look at this psalm, and we don't know who the author is. It was written, it says, to the sons of Korah, but the author is identified. But what we know about the author of this psalm, very definitely and without controversy, is that this person was struggling with what we would call severe clinical depression. Out of their own mouth and admission, they say that they are downcast twice. The word in the Hebrew literally means depressed. They use the word twice, disquieted, which means upset, unsettled. There's an unsettledness within this person's heart because of their depression. They use the word mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, to be sad, or literally in the Hebrew, it means to be in darkness or to be in a dark place. I don't know if any of you can relate to what it feels like to be in a dark place. Another thing that we know about the author of this psalm, though we're not given their name, is that we know very definitely that they are saved. We know that this description, this condition, this experience was held by someone who knows the Lord, someone who knows God, someone who has had their roots taken out of the world and placed in God, meaning they're in the right way and in the right path. It means that they believe that God is the only answer, even as they declare out of their own mouth. It means that they've had their sins forgiven. And yet, even though they are all of those things perfectly right with God, they're still struggling. They still haven't been healed. There's still a depression, an anxiety, a darkness that's going on within the soul. This person is saved. We also know about this person that's right here, we know that this is very definitely a soul issue because six times in the psalm, they tell us, the the author tells us that this is a soul issue. The depression, the problem is from something that's not right deep inside the soul. Now, let me pause here and say this. There are times, very truly, that the issues that we go through, maybe it is a depression or an anxiety or a compulsiveness or, you know, you fill in whatever your issue is. There are times when maybe it's not so much a soul issue that's causing the problem. For instance, postpartum depression. A woman gives birth and for that season after giving birth, the hormones are out of whack. Everything in the body is, is under a, a tremendous amount of stress, healing. Things are coming back into homeostasis. And it can shift hormone patterns. And there can be depression. There can be what we would call mental issues that aren't a problem in the soul. It's just the body coming back into homeostasis or balance with itself. Also, when people get older, when a woman goes through menopause or a man grows into aging and his levels of of certain hormones begin to drop off, there can be a period or a time when things are not where they're supposed to be and it can manifest in different conditions. There are also times, sometimes, where there is a problem physically. Maybe there's a misalignment in in the hormonal communications between the pituitary, thyro, adrenal axis, and things can be kind of not where they're supposed to be, or there's a nutritional deficiency. Sometimes it's not necessarily completely a soul issue. But I will say that I believe most times broken souls in a dark and lost world go through crazy things. It is a soul issue. 
And it absolutely is a soul issue with the psalmist. And the psalmist recognizes it. There's something not right within my soul. By the way, I do want to give a disclaimer on this message because it is absolutely impossible for me to hit every condition, every side circumstance, every complexity and reason behind and why people go through the things that they go through. And I know some of you are sitting here and there's already either a person that you're thinking about, a condition or something personal that you're going through, and and you're saying, well, he's already missing the mark on things. Listen, I know the soul is complex. I don't even understand it. None of us really understand the complexities of what makes all these things tick. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you this morning is not because I'm trying to be a psychologist or give you all the answers to things, but the reason why I'm sharing this with you this morning, even though it's sticky and it's you know kind of like rough waters to kind of navigate as a preacher, the reason is this, is because I believe with all my heart that the answer to every soul issue that we would have comes completely from God, his spirit, and his word. And that the person who is most qualified to speak to these things in this world is the spirit-filled, biblically literate pastor. More than any doctor, more than any psychologist when it comes to these things because God is the one that made it and he's the one that knows how it works. You know, and, and, and many won't, just won't go there. You know, so we're there. Here we are, whether I like it or not. You know, there's your disclaimer. So, you know. But we know that this is a soul issue that, that is uh, happening with the psalmist. Then what the psalmist does is the psalmist moves on, and he gives to us what I'm going to call the seven Ds of depression. The first one is given to us in the first two verses, and that is Desperation. You'll notice that he describes his condition to that of a deer who's panting after the water. And I know I shared that last week a little bit. I won't be redundant and get into it too far this week. But you know what it's like when you are so physically thirsty that pond water looks palatable, right? You ever been there where it's just you've gone way too long and everything is dried out, kind of like, you know, right now for, for, you know, but there's just something where that's all you can think about. It's all consuming. There's a desperation inside because it feels like the emotion, the issue, the depression in this case is so overwhelmingly large that you can think about nothing else. That's the condition that this person is in. The second one is in verse three and it is despair. So desperation and despair. Verse 3, notice it says that my tears have been my food day and night. Now metaphorically, the psalmist was not literally taking the tears, cooking them on the grill, slicing them up and serving them on their evening meal. No, metaphorically what they're saying is that I got myself into a cycle where I was actually feeding on the condition of my depression. It became a loop system wherein, wherein I was actually almost taking pleasure in it because there was nothing else to take pleasure in. I was literally cannibalizing my own darkness. I was eating the very thing that was eating me. And there is a certain despair that can come upon a person when, when there's just this cycle of the issue that keeps going over and over again. You're almost feeding on it. The third D is given to us in verse 3 also, and that is doubt. Notice at the end of the verse that the tears continually say unto me, where is your God? 
that this depression that I'm going through is taunting me, that the voice is coming from within and it is saying to me, if you're a Christian, why are you going through this? If you're saved, why is God allowing this emotion or this problem to happen in your life? If you belong to him, then why doesn't he come to you and fix you and heal you? Why are you struggling? It's an amazing dynamic, isn't it? That even this Christian person was uh, in doubt to the presence and the goodness of God in the middle. By the way, oftentimes that is the doubt, isn't it? I know for me, when I go through things, I'm not often doubting the existence of God. I'm doubting the goodness of God. God, if you're good, if you're for me, if you love me, then why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you letting me go through this? Why aren't you taking this issue away that I hate so much in my life that's consuming to me? The fourth D that the psalmist experiences is in verse 4, and that is defeat. Notice in verse 4, the psalmist says, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. Now, the reference is to that of what in the Bible we would call a drink offering. And what the drink offering symbolized was literally emptying the contents of your life unto the Lord. You would pour out your life, the cup, the drink being your soul, your life, pouring it out unto the Lord. And this person is in a place where they're not pouring it out necessarily to the Lord, but they're pouring it out in them. In other words, they're giving up. You know what? Take this and it's done. It's in the dumps. I give up. I can't do this. I can't beat this. I'm defeated by it. This thing is going to have me. There's nothing I can do about it. They resign themselves to failure and defeat. There's defeat. The fifth D, given also in verse 4, is that the depression was debilitating. Notice what the psalmist says, that I would have gone with the multitude. I had in the past gone with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude of kept holy day. In other words, I remember a day when I would have but I'm, I can't. I can't even get out of bed. I can't even get out of my house. I had gone in the past, but today it ain't happening. How many times can that happen to you and I? I know it would be good for me to go to church. I know I would be encouraged if I go to church. That's the place I'm supposed to be. I just can't do it. It would be good for me to get up and go to work today. That'd probably be the better thing. It would be good for me to go have lunch with a friend or to call, but I can't. I just can't. I can't. What I can do is I can stay in my bed, in the fetal position, and drink my own misery. That's what I can. And that's what I'll do. And that's where this person in the psalm had become. I am debilitated by the condition that I'm in. The sixth D is given to us in verse 6, and that is that it is dizzying. Notice in verse 6, he says that I, my soul is cast down in me. Therefore, listen, I will remember you. I'll remember God from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and of the hill Mizar. Now you say, well, wait, is this person saying they're going to take this depression on the road? They're going to go hang out in Jordan for a while and remember God there, and then head to Hermon and remember God? No, 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 no. It's metaphoric. See, Jordan speaks of the lowest elevation in the land. It's the area by the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the planet. Hermon is the highest place in the region. In fact, it's the only place in Israel where you can actually ski because the elevation is such that there's snow on the top of that mountain in the wintertime. So I'm going to remember you in the lowest place and also in the highest place, and then the hill Mizar. Mizar means little hill. That is the place in between. To me, the perfect description of the roller coaster of emotions that can happen in a person whose soul is upset. I don't know if you've been there. I know that I've been there. 
You know the roller coaster? Oh, today, God, I'm saved. Oh, God, I feel your presence and your goodness. I know I'm through it now. This is great, Lord. Thank you. The breakthrough. And then the next day, Lord, where are you? What did I do? If you just tell me what I did, I'll repent of it. I'm sorry, God. Where are you? Why is there this heaviness? Why can't I think? And then there's the in-between. And there's the roller coaster. And you think, I'm dizzy because of this condition. God, why am I going through this? And then finally, the seventh D of depression given by the psalmist in verses 9 and 10 is the devil. I will say unto God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemy reproaches me while they say unto me daily, where is your God? In other words, if it wasn't enough that the voice is coming from within myself asking where is God in all of this, Satan on top of it is standing there with his sword shouting in my ear, where is God now? Where is God now? If God loves you, then why are you this way? If God is with you, then why are you suffering and struggling? And Satan is right there to twist the pain of what we're already going through. Now, what's the takeaway of all this as we consider this amazing description in 11 verses of that which what textbooks of experience and study have described in greater detail? I believe that in this, God wants us, first of all, to know that he is fully aware that this is reality as it faces his people from time to time and in seasons of their life and according to his will when it happens. And God goes out of his way to describe it in such detail so that we would know and understand that he understands, that he's with us in it, that he is in fact, and some of you will struggle with this, but it's okay, is that he is the author of it and that he uses it in our lives for his purposes. He also put this psalm in here, not only just so that we would know that he's in it and that he knows it, but he put it here because the solution is here. The instruction we need, and by the way, your issue may not be depression, but this is universally applicable. Whatever it is that you struggle with, that soul sickness that hits you and the symptoms of it, it's universal in its effect that it has on us and also in its application and how it is that we position ourselves to get out of it. But the big question is in all of this, we know God knows it, he's with us in it, but the big question in all of this is why? I mean, six times in the psalm, the psalmist asks that question, why? Why is this happening to me, God? Now, I wish I could tell you that there's an answer. In fact, myself, I wish there was 12 verses in this psalm and not just 11. Because verse 12 should say, oh, so this is what you did and how you used it in my life. And I thank you, God, that I'm no longer in the place that I was. But that verse isn't there. The answer isn't given in the psalm. Now, the situation is resolved. We recognize and we understand that or else it wouldn't be here. But why? Why do these things happen to us? Why do we struggle? Why are we debilitatingly anxious? Why am I manic? Why am I compulsive? Why can't I stop playing this thought over in my head over and over again? Why am I depressed and I can't, I can't shake it and get off of it? Why is this happening to me? We ask the question. And although it's not answered in the psalm, I believe God does answer it in his word. And he answered it in our lives as we go through it. We could probably spend six weeks answering the question why, but I'll give you three things to consider this morning. Number one, and probably first and foremost in God's mind, 
is relationship. There is no greater way that I know of that God fosters a relationship with us and draws us closer to himself than through the struggles and the difficulties and the battles that we face as believers, those whose roots are, are sunk into the right soil. God wants relationship with you and I. How many of you are really close to God and grow close to God when things are going really well in your life? I know for me, when things are smooth, when the healing comes right away, when the provision is right there, when God answers immediately, when those things happen in my life, I know that I just say, thank you, God, and I continue carrying on with my life, which is okay. This is what I have. It's in front of me. I've got to do what I've got to do. But when I'm in those places of desperation, of battle, and of need, I find that the relationship with God is amazingly close. In John chapter 5, there's an episode where Jesus encounters a man who for 38 years was debilitated with a palsy. And that's as much description as we're given concerning the man's condition. But 38 years this man could not stand to his feet. And Jesus approaches this man and says, Would you be healed? Do you want to be healed? And the man, of course, he began making excuses. But Jesus just cut to the chase and he said, If you want to be healed, stand up, take up your bed and go. And the man believed the man stood, and in one instant, this thing that could not be resolved in any other way was instantly healed. There was a problem. It was the Sabbath day. And apparently, in Israel, in those days, God doesn't care about people on the Sabbath day because it's illegal for God to heal people on the Sabbath day in ancient Israel. And so the Pharisees took issue with this man for being healed and for carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. And so they apprehend him and they say, whoa, 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 crippled man who's now walking. Whoa, whoa, man who's doing the impossible right now, who's just been touched by God. What are you doing carrying your bed, walking whole on the Sabbath day? Who did this to you? And you know what blows my mind about the passage? Let me read to you the man's response as he's asked by the Pharisees. It's John chapter 5, verse 11. It says, he answered them, he that made me whole... The same said unto me, take up your bed and walk. Then asked they him, what man is that which said unto you, take up your bed and walk? Watch this, verse 13. And he that was healed knew not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Wait, you mean this guy was immediately healed? God did something that was impossible with men immediately for this guy, miraculous. And on the other side of it, the guy didn't know Jesus. How interesting. See, there was healing, there was help, there was wholeness, but there was no relationship. Now contrast that with the man Jacob. He wrestled and struggled for his whole entire life. The man was a conniver. He, he was everything that we hope that we never become. And he wrestled with God over those things in his heart his whole life. And it boiled down to one night where he wrestled personally with Jesus from sundown to sunup, wrestling over this issue, wanting to be blessed, struggling in himself. And as the morning approached and Jesus said, it's time for me to go, Jacob said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And it says that Jesus touched the hollow of his thigh and the muscle that was there shrank. And Jacob would spend the rest of his life debilitated. 
He would lean on a cane from that day until the day that he laid down his life. But yet he says this remarkably about himself at the end. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it says that by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed the two sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. See, for Jacob, the healing never came. For Jacob, the issue was never resolved. But the lean that it forced in his life to cling to Jesus every day for every step brought him to a place where the relationship was so solid that he would say, even if the healing never comes, this staff, which represents my debilitation, has become the most precious article and instrument that I own. Because out of this pain came the greatest relationship I could ever have. I know the true and the living God. And I wouldn't trade this staff to run a marathon, says Jacob. See, God uses the issues that we go through to draw us to himself in a way that cannot be accomplished through just a simple, quick healing, an apparition, a miracle, a fast provision. He uses it for relationship. He also uses it for transformation. Jacob, again, a prime example. We read of Job, who went through amazing suffering that touched every part of his soul in his life. And he came through it on the other side, and he, out of his own admission, his own mouth, he said, for before my eye had seen you, or I'm sorry, before I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And he said, and I repent with dust and ashes. He was changed. The suffering, the fight, the battle, the unanswered questions brought conversion, transformation, and change. God also uses the things that we go through, the struggle and the battle, as a means and a platform for us to help other people and to make God known to other people. I want you to listen to something that the Apostle Paul said. We often think of the Apostle Paul as being the super saint that had no problems. But I want you to listen to a testimony that Paul gave in his letter to the Corinthians. Listen, just listen. Paul writes and he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we, here's why, may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also our consolation or our comfort abounds by Christ. And whether we are afflicted, listen, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. In other words, all of the things that I struggle with, me and my partners in ministry, part of the reason is so that we're able then to convey to you the help that we ourselves receive from God when we were struggling in the way that you're struggling now. And our hope for you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be partaker of the consolation or the help. Now listen. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us while we were in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. 
In other words, the emotional soul pressure that Paul was under at this point in his ministry was so great that he would rather die than walk one more day in it. He says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Why? That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He said, we were brought to a point where the only thing that we could do was put our full and complete trust in God. And we know that he did this to us so that we would have something to give to you. And the bottom line concerning our struggles, issues, things that we're waiting on God for change and healing is that in time, as we walk with him and we grow, God uses the very struggles that we have faced as a help and an encouragement to someone else who's in the thickness of what we might be in or were in at a time there in our past. We don't know the whole of the whys behind why God allows it but he's strategic. The second question that the psalmist asks is where? Twice, where are you, God? Can you relate to that? Where are you, God, in the middle of this? Do you know where God was in the middle of this? He was in the middle of this, not wanting the psalmist to feel that he was in the middle of this. And did you know that sometimes God does that? See, what did Jesus say? He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That means where is he right now if we've accepted him? He's right with us. He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I will finish the work that I've began within your life. He says that underneath our fall is the everlasting arm. He says that he will keep us as the apple of his eye. We are assured in the word that he is constantly with us, but there are times that we don't feel his presence with us. But when we don't feel him with us, he's still with us. We studied Genesis 39 this past Wednesday night, and Two of the hardest things that happened to Joseph happened in chapter 39. One is that he was sold as a slave in Egypt, and the other is that he was lied about and cast into prison because of a false charge that was laid against him. And what's amazing about that chapter is that after both of those events, the first sentence after it is that it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. I'm sure at those two points, Joseph didn't feel the Lord with him. He felt abandoned. He felt forsaken. He felt alone. But God goes out of his way to say that fact and feeling are not the same thing. And we walk by faith in fact, not feelings. So where is God when I don't feel him, when I'm struggling? God is right with you, not wanting you to feel him right now because there's something that he's doing within your life but he's with you, one hand on the thermometer and the other hand on the thermostat, perfectly in control of where you and I are at at any given moment. The third question that the psalmist asks is when? (laughs) When is this going to be over? How long, O Lord, is this going to happen in my life? You know, the answer isn't there. For many of us, we ask the question, Lord, how long am I going to struggle with this? I spoke with several people this week that shared their stories and the things that they're going through and things they they have gone through in the past. I spoke with one woman who for three months couldn't get out of bed. Went through an ordeal that took six months. She said it was a conglomeration of things that happened. She said it was a soul issue, very definitely. So I couldn't move for three months, but the Lord, slowly as I clung to him, he pulled me out of it. And my husband knew that I was healed when he heard me whistling in the kitchen. 
there was healing God brought through. I spoke to a man this week who three years ago lost his teenage son, tragic way. And he described what happened, how the bottom of his world fell out when that happened, and he couldn't move for three months. He said, again, I couldn't even stand at the sink and turn on the faucet. I was crippled, literally physically crippled by the damage that I sustained in my soul because of that loss. What had been endless energy and the ability to just go, 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 I became completely crippled. I could do absolutely nothing. And he said, even to this day, three years later, he said, I've got a lot of it back. I'm back on my feet again. He said, but it's not what it once was. And he said, time is totally different now. He goes, I see things that happened two years ago as though they happened yesterday. And sometimes people ask me, I say, whoa, didn't that happen like two years ago? He's like, time is shot in my mind. He's like, I can't figure it out. And he said, God is healing. God is restoring me. He said, the way I would describe my life now is sweetly broken, but dependent and full. I spoke with many. I spoke to myself. Almost the entire decade of my 20s I spent in depression, constantly discouraged. At some points, even suicidal. Truly, just I remember a couple of points. I remember one specific, walking between two buildings, a bridge, uh, just a bridge that, that connected between the top of two buildings, carrying a big piece of metal, and the only thing there was just a little piece of wire because the, the, the permanent uh, you know, protection wasn't in place yet. And I just stood there and I looked. I don't think I would have done it. Don't worry about it. You know, I, 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 but, but, but I thought to myself, it would be better. I would be happier. This would be a better future for me. And I felt that hopeless at that time. I remember I had lunch with Pete Roberts during that season of my life. It was one of the first times I ever met him. And I remember he said to me, he goes, isn't life great? He goes, don't you just get so excited about what the next day is going to bring? And I remember looking at him and just saying, yeah, but thinking, no. I don't know what you're talking about right now. Not at all. At that same season, I spoke to someone who was contemporary with myself in the same um, kind of span and season of life. And he was talking about himself, and he said, he described himself as just content. He said, you know what I am right now? He said, I'm content. There's something inside of me that raged. That's all I want. I'm not looking for the world. I just want to be content. God, where are you? When is this going to end? I can tell you today is that it's not like that anymore. I don't struggle with depression. Sure, I can get down here and there, but I remember what it was like in those days, and it's not like it was then. How long do the issues that we face last in our life? They last as long as they need to. For God to do what he needs to do in order to bring real, lasting healing in our lives. And sometimes it's whole, total. Sometimes it's partial. Only God knows, but God is good. So what's the solution as we come to a close? The psalm contains the answer. The one question that's not asked in this psalm is the question of what. He asks why, where, and when. He does not ask what. In other words, what do I do? You know why? Because he knows what to do. The psalmist knows he's going to get through because he knows what to do. What does he do? Twice he tells us in the psalm, verses 5 and 11, he tells us that he's going to put his hope in God. You know what hope is? Hope is the absolute expectation of coming good. My hope, my absolute expectation that good awaits my future, my hope is in God. That's where I've placed my hope. That's the position. That's where I'm rooted. It's where my eyes are focused. It's where my life is pointed. My hope is in Him, not in any other thing. There's not going to be any other solution. That's where my hope is planted. Second, 
Four times in the psalm, he says, I will yet praise. Verses 4, 5, 8, and 11, he says, I'm going to continue. Do you know that there is nothing more difficult than to praise, to give thanks, and to worship when you're in the midst of a battle with some deep soul issue? Can anybody else agree with that, or am I alone in it? But do you know why praise is so important? Praise is important because it does two things. Number one, praise drags eternity into the present realm. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And do you know what's going on in heaven right now? Praise, worship. And when I praise, I am dragging eternity and the joy of eternity into the present realm. It's difficult to do when I'm feeding on my own tears, but it works every time. Do you know what else praise does, why it's so important? Praise rebels against the circumstances. Because the circumstances of a given battle, situation, moment, they tell me and command me to complain, to despair, to wallow, to sit. That's what the circumstances tell me to do. And when I choose to praise instead of obey my circumstances, I'm rebelling against the circumstances that I'm in. And I like that because I'm a rebel at heart. Praise is so important to continue to worship God and give thanks even though I don't understand. Verse 8, he prays, P-R-A-Y-S. He prays by giving a declaration of the promise. He will command his loving kindness. He is my rock, he says. And then he gives his supplication for help. He continues to pray and ask God for help even in the midst of it. And then finally, he states his position in verses 8 and 11. In verse 8, he says, I will yet praise him. Listen, here's his position. Who is the help who gives the help of his countenance? In other words, when God's presence comes into my realm, it helps me. I don't know if you're aware of that. How many in here, by showing of hands, have felt God's presence? Like in a very, very real way. Look, look at the hands. and my, my hand goes up. And, and we feel him, I think, in various ways. And I know feelings is such a stupid word, you know. But there are times when God lifts the veil of this world's blindness and he lets us feel his presence in such an amazing and powerful way. And can, can we testify that there is nothing more healing than his countenance? There is nothing more healing than his countenance. I, I don't have time to tell you a story right now, so you, I'll just throw that out there and you can suffer that you didn't get to hear it, you know, the time that this is true. But he says his position, God's the help. Now notice, he goes on in verse 11, he adds to that. He says, not only is he the help through his countenance, but he says, he is the health of my countenance. In other words, I am struggling. I have issues. My soul isn't what it's supposed to be. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know where God is. I don't know when this is going to end, but this is what I know. My roots are planted here. My eyes are fixed there. My hands are lifted there. And when my help and healing comes, that's where it's going to come from. It's not going to come from there, him, her, it, that. It's going to come from him. That's the position of my soul. And no matter what your issue is, no matter your battle, how long you've been battling, whether you're healed or not, if that is the position of your soul, 
that is the health of your countenance. I am not standing here before you this morning as the man who has it all together or the man who's not soul sick or the one who's saying, like, if you do what I do, you can be like I am. You don't want to be like I am. What I am telling you is this, is that I am soul sick in a fallen, broken world just like you are. But my feet are planted in this water. I am going that way. I'm not what I used to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be. And you can come too. The worship team can come. And as they do, closing point, I say to you this, is that you and God want the exact same thing for your life. I shared last week that picture that Ezekiel gave of the river, the little trickle of water that came out from under the threshold of the door of the temple. And it became such a wide river that it was too wide for him to traverse it. It was just this overflow of of water, of abundance. And the picture of Jesus, the picture of the life that God gives, the satisfaction, the healing for the soul. But I was thinking about that this week, that whole idea of this door of the temple and his presence and the water coming out from under it. And I was thinking, if, if I'm at that door, right, then I'm standing in that water, right, because the water is coming out from under the door. And what does Jesus say? He says, ask, seek, and knock. Knock, and the door will be opened. If I knock, I'm standing in the thing, right? That means I'm in the right place. I'm standing where I need to be. Now, amazingly, Jesus is also standing at the door and he's knocking. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man will open to me, I will come in to him. Now, that is remarkable to me because I know what's coming out of the door of his temple. Pure, healing, living water. I also know what's coming out of the door of my temple. And I can't understand for the life of me why Jesus wants to stand in it. But what he is saying to you and I is, listen, we both want the same thing. We're knocking on one another's doors. If you will open to me, I will open to you, and the floodgate of my water will overpower the slime that's coming out from under your door, and healing will begin. I want to read to you this small passage from Ezekiel 47. After Ezekiel has the vision, the angel gives some commentary and explanation. And just listen to what the angel says about this water that God gives. It says, then he said unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country and they go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. The dead sea shall be healed when the water touches it. And it shall come to pass that everything that lives, which moves whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish because these waters shall come thither and they shall be healed and everything shall live where the river comes. In other words, if you stand in the water of his river and his life, healing is going to come as a result of that. Wherever the waters go, there will be healing. Secondly, he says in verse 10, it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi to Engalium and shall be a place to spread forth their nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. The second thing that's going to happen in your life is there's going to be produce. You're going to be productive. Fruit is going to begin to bear forth out of your life. And then finally, verse 11 and 12, he says, But the miry places, 
and the marshes thereof shall not be healed, for they shall be given to Saul. In other words, his water in your soul isn't going to strengthen the sin. It's going to kill it. And then by the river, upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for food, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for food, and the leaf thereof for medicine. In other words, God is saying, not only are you going to be healed, and not only is your life going to bear fruit, but he then is going to use your life and what comes out of your life as a medicine and a place of healing for someone else. That's pretty sweet. That's what God wants for you. Isn't it what you want for you? And the invitation is for you to come. Whether that means by salvation is to say, Jesus, I trust you as the Savior of my life. Forgive my sins and save me. Or as the person here that would say, Lord, my roots are in the wrong place. Plant them where they belong. I set my feet. And you can come too. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would take it, divide it, and apply it according as you see fit. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your kindness, for your power, for your wisdom, your process and methods. We thank you, Lord, that you're so carefully involved. We want what you want. We don't want to struggle. But, Lord, we want to win. So help us. Thank you for who you are. Let your blessing be upon your people and let healing come to our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.